Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Micah. How you doing, my friend? Good. You know, it is November. Oh my gosh. The seasons are changing. We're recording this at night. I love like when we record at night occasionally. I'm like, it's an at night episode. <laughs> I've been also very conscious of not jumping onto the mic and being like, Hi Olivia. Because of that one time that you that you called me on it. And now I'm like, Hi Olivia. I like it. <laughs> It's much appreciated, and your energy still is sustained, so I think I do what fine. I can. Do what I can. Oh, my gosh. So, Micah, we've got some exciting stuff this week, including a nerd alert where I get to grill you with questions. Yeah, this is good. I'm glad that you're ready to do that, because uh, every time we say, hey, Micah, it's your turn to do a nerd alert, I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? <laughs> Because you're such an excellent researcher. I research when I need to know something, but I'm not good at like categorizing the information <laughs> and presenting it in the way that you are. So I, I think it's good. So the topic today, I think, should be pretty fun because it's very nerdy. We are talking about what the heck font mastering is, which is a fun part of the preview. If you've never heard of that topic, it's kind of the last stage, one of the most important and most overlooked stages of making a font. Uh, and I can't believe I'm going to be the one talking about it, but here we are. This is some real inside information. I'm very excited to get your perspective on it and to teach other people about this side of the process that it's so under-journalized. Is that even a word? Mm. Like not written about that I feel like you even had a hard time finding an article to include in the newsletter this week about it. You're not wrong. I kept <laughs> looking for that phrase and I went deep into Google and tried a million different ways and it's tough because they're like there's a couple books and courses called Mastering Fonts, which oh my is entirely gosh. different than font mastering. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was tough to find something. We did end up finding something. It isn't like directly related, but it's a good read. It was something that we had shared a while ago and might be a good refresher if somebody hasn't seen it yet. So it's it's worth clicking on. I think this nerd alert will pair nicely with a nerd alert we did back in February. I almost forgot about this one. It was called Font Production and Engineering. So that also was like topics that are just under discussed in the community, but very much more on the technical side of making type, less about drawing beautiful letters and more about the mechanics. So if this kind of interests you, go back into our catalog and find that one. I think you'll like it as well. Indeed. And on top of that, Another exciting thing is that we have our next workshop to announce. I have wanted Alana Flowers, who is this teacher, to come teach with us for quite some time now. I'm so excited. She is generously teaching a workshop alongside us in a couple weeks, November 20th and 21st. Actually, it's going to be like just a week or so when this podcast airs, but I'm so excited about it. She's teaching a class on lettering. It is called Bettering Your Lettering. It'll be all about lettering on the iPad, but still including a lot of fundamentals. So you'll learn like lettering basics, drawing letter foundation, and you'll learn some tips and techniques, and you will walk away from class with some lettering pieces. And I love lettering, so I'm so excited. <laughs> we have worked with her a little bit on the format of the class, which 
I think is going to be really good. A, it's perfect for beginners, which is what's making me excited because I am I've never even dabbled in this. I've worked on fonts before, but lettering is kind of a different beast, right? It's a lot more artistic and expressive and there's a lot more you can do with it. And so it's designed to be great for somebody like me who's never touched the stuff. And while we're showing it on the iPad and teaching it via that medium, like you said, it's going to be a lot of the basics and terminology and tips that could work in any circumstance. And so I think even for the people who don't have an iPad, it might be interesting just to like watch and absorb and maybe later translate something onto paper or later experiment in some other format. So I think it's going to be really cool. Totally. Good to know and super encouraging for people that are beginners or maybe they have an iPad and a pencil and haven't even touched an app yet because they're like, oh, I'm not pro enough to do that. I think so. this will be perfect. Alana Flowers, if you don't know her, is a freelance lettering artist and designer based in Brooklyn. Um, she's just worked with some huge clients, including Adobe and American Greetings. But if you've seen her video tutorials on YouTube, you'll know she is so kind, so encouraging, and I think is just going to be an awesome teacher all around. And as always, too, with any of our workshop tickets, if you can't make it live because of time zones or conflicts or something, we always send the recording to anybody who bought the ticket. So even if you don't make it live, you still get to watch it. So keep that in mind. Awesome. All right. Our next link is one near and dear to my heart, guys. Why is that, Olivia? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so it's from the die line. The headline is Velveeta touts its cheesy opulence in brand refresh from JKR. And it's so exciting because I worked on this brand refresh. This is great. I'm very glad that, that you put this in here. Oh my gosh, everyone, I've been working on this brand since last November. <laughs> I have not been able to say I've been working on this for a year, but it's really exciting. So what we did at JKR, I worked on a huge team. So I did not personally design all of this myself. It was within a really great team at JKR and the clients and partnered agencies, but we have reskinned Velveeta with like a new purpose and a new brand identity, a new logo, new packaging. It's the first time in 20 years that they're changing things up. So That's I'm wild. like very, yeah, super proud to have been able to work on this. It's nuts. I know so much about Velveeta now. I don't even <laughs> eat Velveeta, but it was a really fun process. And for the type nerds out there, you get a small glimpse at the custom type we had made by F37 Foundry. And that's in the Dyline article too. Our type is coherent with the rest of the brand world. There's curves within the letter forms that mimic the drips of Velveeta because Velveeta mm. is the creamiest mac and cheese. Which there's a really great gif of that included in this article. I appreciate that so much. The cheese drips down and changes the letter forms. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's solid stuff. I storyboarded that. Thank you. Oh, see, that's awesome. That makes me so happy. I'm going to like, as soon as my stepmother has to buy groceries next, I'm going to be like, you better be getting some Velveeta. Oh, my gosh. 2022 is when the packaging's coming out. I think it's funny. I learned so much about how... It's not even like that how, far from that. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, that's and, and that's pretty normal. And for, like, the supply chain to turn itself around to get new stuff on the shelf, 
It mm-hmm. just takes a little bit of time. But yeah, I don't know. I just learned so much about a brand identity and how to create one. I've never worked on anything of this scale before. I never knew how long these things took and like how many people really have to get involved. Um, mm. So, you know, it was like just a huge learning lesson in so many ways in packaging design and brand identity design, in art directing type design, which was like totally new, art directing logo design, which was also finessed by F37. So uh, (laughs) very exciting. And I hope people enjoy. I'm sure there will be more media about this. I know brand new slash under consideration hasn't done a review yet, but I hope they don't come after us too hard because I know there's people that nitpick like crazy on there. I'm sure. But hashtag whatevs, as everyone says, everyone says that. And, uh, you know what? I got to tell you, one of the things that I love the most, besides the typography, which is inspired, my friend, Mm -hmm. is, uh, that freaking, it's a little shelf, the blue shelf with just the cheese gooing over it. It's just such a, it's just like so inviting and delicious. The contrast on the photography is so much better than the original. The contrast with the colors is so much better. I think you personally killed it on this one. (laughs) Well, I'm just excited to share kind of like what I do day to day, especially for a project that took so darn long um, and was a labor of love. And I'm excited that we could talk about it. I feel like, oh, my gosh, it it feels like a weight is lifted off and on to the next I can't wait to see the uh, Vogue February 2022 issue where they're going to. Very curious what that's going to look like. no idea why Vogue or what that's going to Well, be like. the commercials for it were directed by Harmony Crin, which I didn't know, but he did Spring Breakers, the movie. So there is like a certain high fashion rebellious nature to the ad campaign, which I did not work on the ad campaign, but... Edgy cheese shells. Yeah. <laughs> so fun to talk about. Okay. Our next article is Deep in the Type Nerd World. Um, I'm really freaking fascinating. So Dynamo, the type foundry, has kind of their own set of licensing terms that they have decided on based on their philosophy on how things should get paid for. And so this is just kind of a primer on what their licensing terms is. And the main takeaway is that oftentimes an agency or design studio has to buy fonts for client. And licensing terms are sometimes built upon, oh, there's going to be five seats at this design agency that will be using this font. And that's how much they'll pay. They'll pay for five seats at the design agency to use the font. Well, this turns it on its head and says, we're not charging based on the number of seats at this agency or design studio. We're charging based on how big the client is. So if the client is, let's say, Harley Davidson and you work at an agency, Harley Davidson's a big company, they're going to be paying a large licensing fee for the type, not the agency. Let's say it was like me and you, Micah, we wouldn't be paying the amount based on us, we'd be paying the amount based on the client that's being used for because that commercial value is much higher if a client is really well known and has a lot of equity, opposed to, let's say, the League of Movable Type was a client. We're a little bit smaller. (laughs) I think we'd be able to pay a smaller fee. So it actually helps out smaller businesses not having to pay the same potentially lofty fees as larger clients. Does that make sense? 
I think so. And, and I mean, it's kind of interesting. I'm really curious what you feel about that. Hmm. I don't know if I've totally processed it. I think it, it makes sense logically at first glance. I'm sure there's always going to be nuances to it. I certainly think big companies, for example, like Amazon should be paying more for font licensing than like the restaurant down the street from me. You know what I mean? Like that's an easy way to start comparing it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's a totally different way to think about it. And so I haven't totally thought about all the gray area that might exist in between, you know? What do you think? Yeah. I guess I agree. Like, um, I'm kind of curious how that is going to play out. It is sort of hard to tell how I feel about it. Like, it, it seems like such a good idea. It seems straightforward. It also seems easy to lie, which, hey, you know, it's not like everybody's been lying in the type industry for a hundred years. So <laughs> it's not like that's new, but it's freaking interesting. And I have to admit, you know, I think I've kind of complained about their website before. And you have. I can't figure out what the actual ramifications are. Like, I keep trying to go through their system and be like, OK, buy for a client's. You know, here's the owner, here's the size. It's interesting because in their buying page, they give numbers next to different customization options. For example, saying like, will will font files be shared with third parties plus 25%? And I thought this one was interesting. Want to personalize the name of the typeface plus 25%. It's kind of interesting. And then I, I guess... I mean, I wasn't seeing this a minute ago, and now I am. <laughs> you can finally scroll down and, like, see the prices. And I assume as I change the numbers, you know, the numbers change. It's kind of hard to tell, but I think they are. Yeah, they are. They are. So in that way, if the website works, which seems 50-50 at the moment, at least you get a really transparent idea of how your options affect the pricing, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think that it is like a good way for people to learn what the value of a typeface is based off of the end user, because it's just really going to be different if like hundreds of thousands of people are seeing this type being used by a company rather than maybe 50 for a specific event or something like that. I wonder if it gets gray, let's say, if a design agency has a budget to spend on fonts every year because they want to have their designers using the like newest, coolest fonts. Okay, the design agency wants to spend the money. And so they get to kind of do early design explores with these fonts. And what happens then if the client's like, oh yeah, let's move forward with this font that you guys have been using in testing. I'm assuming then you have to get like a new license for it completely. Mm, yeah, I would guess mm -hmm. that too. Or maybe talk to them and upgrade the license. I'm not sure. I mean, in any case, there's always been fuzzy areas with licensing. I'm sure so many companies are like, yeah, we're just going to use this font for this one desktop and then put it on a public server. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like it's been an issue in the past. There's never going to be one solved. But I certainly think it's like an interesting way for people to start thinking about ways we can change what already exists. And you know what? I guess it's it's worth mentioning one of our favorite talks at uh, Type Weekend this year was with Jazz Holmes about value-based pricing, 
which you will probably hear that name again pretty soon. Hint, hint, hint. Mm. But this is a really interesting example of pricing by value to the Mm -hmm. client and not by some other arbitrary measurement. Oh, my God. That's such a good connection. I love that. Yes. Right. And I feel like there's not a ton of like concrete examples of value based pricing like that. And so this is real interesting to hear about. Totally, because it's like the same thing that will go through, let's say you're approached as an artist to do a mural. If it's a mural for a local school, you're probably going to be charging less than if it's a mural for like Apple headquarters. And right. so like so like an artist themselves is going to do the math in their own head, but this is a more transparent way to do the math of being like, okay, yeah. big company, we can charge more. Which I guess is how the transparency connects for me is because like I, I respect being able to see that that is changing and it sucks if I'm a bigger player, right. And seeing the number going up, but it makes sense. Yes. And if I see the number going down because I'm a smaller player, that makes me trust you more. Yeah. I love this. So this was a great find. Good find. Absolutely. One more article from the house of Van Schneider. I know. Th- is Tobias this man's Van name? Schneider. Tobias? Okay. Yeah, Tobias yeah, yeah. Van Schneider. Is, I, think, I think you and I personally have talked about this guy before where I was like, oh, yeah, Tobias. And you were like, who? Yes. And he's kind of this like internet famous designer who has gotten famous to the point that I don't know if he works on stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. His blog's great because we've definitely featured a couple of his articles before. This very brief article is a good conversation starter, I have to say. It's titled, Passive Designer Phrases We Should Eliminate from Our Vocabulary. I think it's pretty interesting. It talks about the phrases that I've certainly used before and Mm -hmm. why, as designers and art directors, they are less than helpful in many situations. So there's only like four or five, so I'll just list them all. I don't hate it. Maybe not the best passive uh, communication. <laughs> I'm guilty of this one straight from my parents. My parents always talked in the double negative, And I always oh. catch myself being like, I'm not against it. And then I'm like, okay, that means I'm for it. I'm just, I like yeah. it, okay? Yeah, and it's like, be more clear. There's better, like more direct ways. And I think I think everyone appreciates direct feedback at the end of the day. There's ways to be direct and to be kind. Like not all direct feedback, you know, has to be rude and sound like it coming from, you know, a dick. But like, you can, you can be kind. I believe in that. And I think like really good leaders in design can actually maneuver that well. The next one is, I'm happy with whatever you decide. Uh, the non-opinion. Ugh, that makes my skin crawl. I remember learning in art school, like, one of my professors getting mad because someone didn't have an opinion of which photograph we should choose on a contact sheet. And he was like, you need to have an opinion. It's so important to have an opinion. It allows other people, like, allows other creatives to respect you if you have an opinion on something. And if you're always going to be wishy-washy, no one's going to trust your opinion. Well, I'm on the fence about about that particular scenario, because I think that also like those scenarios in art school also taught us to have forced opinions when we don't always have an opinion. And so suddenly we like pretend to care and justify stuff with things that are not real reasoning. But I do think in a lot of cases, like he says in the short paragraph here that that translates to I don't really care or have confidence in my own point of view, which I think is what that usually comes down to. Mm, Yeah, that's why it makes my skin crawl is like 
No, have a little more confidence. I I bet you do actually care one way or the other or have some thought on it. Yeah. Or at least explain why it does not matter. Yeah, that's also true. I like that. I like where we landed there. I think this next one is one that you would also <laughs> have feelings about. It yeah. is, let me know what you think. So, uh, yeah, I've been guilty of ending emails like this, and you have taught me to end an email with a question because because we want an answer on something and it is super passive and there's no reason to say end it with a question i think i learned that trick from you you know is this approved i'm happy to hand it off to like the next step if it is or i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts like something that is a little bit more engaging and i am so guilty of using this phrase so much i don't even like i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts yeah, you don't. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> how many times have we been like, all right, uh, delete that. Um, let's mm-hmm. try again. But to me, that's not that different than let me know what you think. It's like putting all of the pressure on the person receiving the thing to come up with what to say. Yeah. And that's why I like coming up with a question to ask. You know, if we're like trying to schedule something being like, how about these dates? Or if we're trying to be like, do you like that idea? Does that work for you? Here's my proposed solution. Does that work? Yeah, I think something I didn't even realize when I was a young designer or going to school, how much gosh darn email communication or just Slack communication that you have to do as a designer and how much you actually have to be able to articulate things to have processes move on just for like simple processes, step by step by step to move forward. You have to do a lot of communication. And I think being deliberate about how you use your words, you've certainly taught me a lot in that department that I've been able to carry over in all sorts of ways in my professional life. But it's like important. You want to deliberately choose your words. And these days when so many people know you virtually or maybe not even see your face and know you through emails, you want to be doing that the best way you can be, I think. That's also why I try to call you out on the like corporate speak. (laughs) Like I know (laughs) you live in a more corporate environment than I do, but I very intentionally try to speak like I would speak out loud to another human in front of me. Because that's how I want people to feel when they read my emails, you know? Like, I want that human connection. Yeah, you are certainly good at that. So (laughs) I I will give you the trophy for the night. (laughs) All right, Micah, I think it's time. Oh, gosh, it's time. Okay, nerd alert. Yes. All right, let's get this going. Okay. (laughs) So can you just simply less than one minute explanation of what font mastering is? Okay. My understanding of font mastering is polishing all of the technical details that you need to make a font ready to publish and use in multiple environments. Okay. It's going to be like... The question game here. Does that mean like making different file formats with the type that you've designed? Or does that mean like making sure everything interpolated okay if you were having several weights? Like, does it mean both those things? Yeah, and more. (laughs) Okay, here's one of the misconceptions about like a lot of people haven't even heard of this part of the process, but I think some of the people who have heard of this part of this process often think that it's the final step in the process. 
And I think it's often taught that way. We even have taught it that way in like our first type design class where we had a segment that was about font mastering. We taught at the end, not because it only happens at the end, but because it is one of the most detailed parts of the process. And you kind of have to understand all of the rest of making a font and then understand this part of the process. But the truth is it happens throughout. So every time you draw some new letters and you're testing out how they look together and how the spacing looks and whether the sizing is appropriate, whether the color is consistent, all of that really is part of the mastering process. It's like the technical metadata and making sure that that's correct and like embedded in the font correctly, but it's also making proofs and you know it's up to the designer to then like look at them but the fact of outputting proofs is like an important part of quality assurance is kind of what it is you know what i mean like making sure that the font looks good as you're making it Mm -hmm. and so that is part of the mastering process okay all right Like some of it comes at the end, like a lot of that metadata stuff. You don't care about the metadata until you're like publishing the font, right? Mm -hmm. From what I've gathered, mastering isn't too different from mastering in like music production. Am I wrong? Mm. That's an interesting correlation. I like that. I think that's kind of true. Where like there are certain polishing details that only make sense to do once most of the work is done. Okay. All right. I like hearing this. I'm going to give you a scenario and I'm curious how this would play out. So let's say someone reached out to the league and was like, hey, I have a font. It's open source. I want to publish it with you guys. Could you go ahead and master it? Would that ever be a thing that would happen? Like would someone (laughs) ask someone to master a font? After they've done the majority of the legwork and like, what would that even mean? Yeah, that's a great question, because actually we were recently like talking about doing that for somebody. It was for like a a commissioned open source project. And that is kind of a relationship. A lot of type designers have somebody they know that they trust to do a lot of the final polishing details so that the main type designer can focus more on the creative direction and like drawing the shapes correctly in the way that their vision is interpreted, you know, and then can kind of work with somebody throughout the the process of making the font to ensure that spacing lines up, that somebody is an extra set of eyes on like whether letters need kerning pairs or making sure that the lines are drawn the right way, that they're hinted the right way, which we had an episode once upon a time on hinting, if that's something you want to brush up on. But that's one of those like technical engineering type details that's important to have like a quality finished font. And so a lot of times the main type designer might not want to be in charge of the entire thing. And, and so work with somebody who could be that second set of eyes and, and hands to polish those pieces And that is something that we do it for our own fonts. And we have a few tools that we have created to like help with that process in a really unique way that not most everybody else has. So the answer is, yeah, 
unfortunately, like it's a pretty laborious process. And so it's one of those things that, you know, you either have to do it because especially for an open source font, like you have to do it because you really love open source and you have the time and energy to be working on a project for the good of the community or somebody's paying you to do it, (laughs) basically, Mm -hmm. which happens with open source quite a lot. So. Okay, let's say you're a beginner type designer and this is like very overwhelming with for you because you're like, I just learned how to write letter forms and all of a sudden you just threw a bunch of vocab words I'm so confused <laughs> by. What would be like, okay, I feel like stuff like hinting is like a little bit more of a expert level mastering thing. What are like, would you say basic package mastering that if someone's like, okay, final step, mastering my font, what are like top three things besides like kerning pairs that are less obvious that you just want to take a look at? Like what about metadata? Like we don't ever learn about metadata when we're learning about typography, but when you're in type design, people talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. The first, I would say, we talked about a little bit, but it's it's kind of the process of testing throughout while you're creating. One of the somewhat unique things that we have built tools around for our own process is consistent testing. You push a button and you get PDFs of the characters that you've drawn in random combinations or in certain word combinations so that you can look at it and see if it's working. That could be as beginner as like being in glyphs mini and making a pdf and if you're just getting started that is an important part of the mastering process is testing continuously both digital on different screens right like put it on your computer put it on your phone print it out maybe even put it on tv depending on how intense you're trying to go so i think that is one is like having some process for continually testing to see how it's looking on different devices Another I would have to say is there are certain open source technologies that we'll have to do like a roundup of some of them. Um, I know (laughs) at this point, Google, for example, Google fonts, giant repository of open source fonts. They use something called font bakery, which was actually like an idea I had back in 2010, I think. And it's basically just like a. Like a bunch of checks. You run a script on your computer against an exported font file, and it says, like, do you have all of the letters that you need, all of the languages that you need? Is there anything just, like, weird or accidentally corrupted about the font file? Like a bunch of just kind of basic checks that are good to know. And it's not the most user-friendly, but it's fairly user-friendly. There's at least documentation of how to use it, and it's just like a script that you install on your computer. And so you even as a beginner, can like make the first few letters of your font file, export it to an OTF from Glyphs, and then run a little script that says, hey, what am I missing? Or what's wrong with this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. So testing, basic like quality assurance, which can be automated to some extent. It's super basic, but the metadata is, is honestly really important. Opening up the info panel on Glyphs, When you're ready to like finish your font and making sure your name is in there and your website is in there. Yes. You know, making sure that the metrics 
are right, which sounds complicated, but, you know, if you're far enough into making a font to, you know, have drawn letters, then you'll be able to go back and look and make sure that the X height, the number of units of your X height is saved in the font file metadata. Yeah, stuff I don't think about. My yeah. goodness. That's where the technical stuff comes in and where the article that we link to today might be a useful read is because... There's like multiple essentially databases in a font file. They call them tables. And some of the most important tables in a font file are about the metrics and the yeah. software that you're using to like set type, whether it's Photoshop or your operating system, read from those tables to be able to figure out where to put the type on the screen. Yeah, I think that's something we take for granted greatly. And especially now that there used to be a world where only people that had to deal with fonts were literally designers. And now everyone has a fonts drop down on programs that they're using. And I think it's easy for certainly a lot of people don't even understand what fonts are. And then it's easy enough for designers to forget what software is until they maybe use a font that wasn't mastered or kind of get a cheapo font off the internet and stuff's like missing, stuff doesn't make sense. And then they'll start noticing, oh, wait, yeah, this is actually software that's not well done. But I also think that whole testing saga that you were telling us about feels so similar to when I was learning to code from you. And it was like, you don't just code and put in all the code, all the code, all the code, all the design, and then be like, okay, let's check our website. It's so much like testing while you're working and seeing how things look like that feels so similar to like proofing and just like a different industry as well. Yeah, you're very right. It's a whole process, right? It's got to be from the beginning to the end. And there's always a couple steps you got to do extra at the end. But it's it's something that happens throughout. Yeah, that's like how I felt when I was getting my website ready. It was like so much testing throughout making it. And then it was like all the small stuff. Like if I send a link to someone on iMessage, is the preview image going to be what I want it to be? Like mm -hmm. stuff that you're not even thinking about when you're thinking about the big picture, but it's the small details that really make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So before we wrap this up, I got to mention, I've been hinting that there's like this tool that we have developed that we use on our own processes which I think I am a little bit more privy to than you are because I handle yes. a lot of the technical shit. But I have to give like a giant, huge honkin' shout out to one of the lesser known volunteers who's contributed to the league. His name's Caleb McLennan. It's funny because like we have mostly talked online. We've never met in person. He basically contacted us and said, hey, I'd love to help with this part of the process. And so... I'd like to say we work together, but the majority of the work has been him in making this tool that it's the league. So it's open source and it's kind of a collection of a bunch of tools that like, you know, I mentioned the font bakery and other like scripts that you can run. I'm only mentioning it now because I think a lot of people will probably be intimidated by the setup. And that's basically you were asking, like, do people ever come to us and like ask if we can help master stuff. And basically we have like a kind of behind the scenes service that we have offered once or twice to like set up this open source tool and, and get it working in your workflow. So, hey, if you're a professional and looking for that kind of help, email us. But if you're just interested in kind of the tools that we're talking about and like dig deep behind the scenes, 
the tool that we ended up creating and publishing, which is open source, is called FontShip. Mm-hmm. We don't have tons of documentation other than sort of the readme that goes with the software. Um, and the software, if you're not super technical, might be hard to set up. So that's why we offer that kind of extra behind the scenes service. But wanted to give a giant, huge shout out to Caleb because that has just been instrumental in the way that the league publishes fonts in the last couple of years. It's a huge feat. I'm always like so impressed when you bring that up. I'm like, oh, my God, over my it's head. Like, it's like impressive. a part that we we haven't ever talked about and like nobody knows exists behind the scenes. But there's like so much work that went into it. It's incredible. Yes. Well, Micah, I always love a good conversational nerd alert. I learned so much over here. <laughs> I'm very grateful that you're such a good question asker. This could have been much more boring if it were not for you asking good questions, my friend. You have a vault of knowledge. Whenever I tap it, I'm like, my friend is intelligent. <laughs> my goodness. You know so much. Uh, all right. So everybody, make sure to keep an eye out for the launch of that new workshop that is coming up. I'm excited about it. And... As always, you know, if you have any cool ideas or things that you want to share, hit us up. Oh, yes. All right. See you next time. Bye. Do 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 do.